Welcome to the Future is Healthy podcast, where we have in-depth conversations with experts to help navigate wellness and empower all of us to make feasible changes to a healthier life and healthier world. In today's conversation, we have the honor to talk to Dr. Drew Ramsey, who is a psychiatrist, author, and a farmer. He is a clear voice in the mental health conversation and one of psychiatry's leading proponents of using nutritional interventions. He is an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. He founded the Brain Food Clinic in New York City, which offers treatments and consultations for depression, anxiety, and emotional wellness concerns. In today's conversation, we talk about how obesity, diabetes, and mental health have all been on the rise, how we are thinking about food in the wrong way, and Dr. Ramsey shares with us his top foods for mood. He also describes the top nutrients for brain health. And teaser, you can eat dark chocolate. He also talks about what foods to avoid and how to support neuroplasticity. We discuss how food is medicine and much, much more. And now, on to the podcast. Hi, Dr. Ramsey. Welcome to the Future is Healthy podcast. We, uh, I know we were talking beforehand about you saying uh, that this is maybe one of the most uh, nerve wracking times is when you're putting out your book and you don't know if people resonate with it or if they don't, but I just want to let you know that we both resonated very much with your book. We loved it. <laughs> Thank you for that. So, you know, we all need a little self-esteem shot in the arm. <laughs> I, I got you. I got you. That's medical instincts right there, you know, meet the patient where they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we really wanted to start out with um, your book is called eat to beat depression and anxiety. And I thought it was interesting that you combined both depression and anxiety. Why did you decide to do that instead of focusing on one or the other? As a practicing psychiatrist, those two diseases tend to run together. And it's also the two sets of symptoms that I think most everyone experiences some piece of. That not that necessarily uh, in any way to diminish anxiety disorders and how debilitating they are, but to really allow us all to think about anxiety, how it serves us, and, and then how it sits in our life, especially now. Um, and, and then with depression, I mean, these are the two most common mental health disorders. And so uh, they're both what I focus on clinically, but where the data and clinical experience tells us really you can have the biggest impact in terms of nutritional psychiatry and food. So that, that's why I picked those two disorders. Awesome. So we've done our psychiatric rotation. Um, I loved it. Amanda sort of liked it. Um, <laughs> but you know, you don't see nutrition talked very often, or at least I didn't. Um, so can you talk about why you're so interested in nutrition and, and kind of just maybe dive into how you realize that nutrition is kind of underpinning all of this? Uh, for sure. <clears throat> My medical student uh, psychiatry rotation, I'm flashing back to it, talking to you guys, all those old neurons and synapses are firing and I'm remembering. Oh, the first time I really saw pure mania, I worked at the VA hospital in Indianapolis. And I, and I remember it was a patient who was manic and he wanted his beard shaved. And I didn't really, and I said, well, okay. <laughs> and so I helped him shave his beard really nice. And I thought, I'm a really good medical student for this. <laughs> <laughs> and the staff comes in like, what? what did you do? And I was like, well, you know, you want to take his beard off? He said it was, yeah. And, and, and you quickly, that was, that was probably not the right thing to do as a medical student. I, uh, yeah. So I thought about that in a long time. I, so you don't talk about food in a psychiatry rotation. I think that's really part of the problem and what my work has been about 
it, it surprised me, it should surprise all of us because we have a mental health epidemic that's growing. We have a health epidemic that's growing. We um, have an epidemic of processed food that's growing. And so you put all of those things together and it, it's time for psychiatry and for anyone who cares about brain health to really think about the foodscape and think about what, what else is more powerful in terms of prevention than nutrition. Especially when you look at, it's, it's not just, you know, we, often we get excited how it prevents things, which is, well, let's talk about some of the data at some point, but um, it's also this notion of how highly processed foods are now linked to a number of brain and mental health disorders. And so you know, there's both all like the superfood and good nutrients and microbiome, phytonutrient, like excitement. But then there's also, I think the real pernicious headwind that many Americans face in their mental health. Uh, there's just, a, you know, there's, there's a reason the obesity, diabetes, and depression and anxiety epidemics all really need to be clustered together in a certain way. I like that you brought up both prevention and then essentially that you can also be using these foods to treat and not just prevent. Um, and you were talking about also not just getting the good food, but avoiding the, the bad, highly processed foods. So could you give a couple of examples of like the best foods that you can eat for prevention? And then we can get into like some of the foods that you also want to just avoid. For sure. And, and I like putting treatment and prevention together because I think that's what the business is that I'm in. And that really, when I think about the outcome for me as a, as a physician, what I care about is patients getting better and staying better. And, and I think I'm also just humbled being a clinician that that, sound, that sounds easy and great. It's all like move our bodies and eat the brain food and you know maybe take a little Zoloft or go to therapy and, and then like, we're gonna take care of this depression and this anxiety. And, and I see how um, these are very challenging diseases for a lot of individuals. And, and so in terms of good foods that we want to bring to the table in terms of prevention, and, and I focus on these in Eat to Beat Depression in, in a couple of ways. First is I describe the method by which I've come to these recommendations, which is a little different. A lot of people are getting pushed into a plant-based or plant-forward movement <clears throat> for a variety of reasons. And you can debate those reasons all day long, right? And people are getting thinking, you know, they go keto or paleo or this or that. And, and, and I think with this book, I really wanna make a very clear statement that people are thinking about the wrong thing when it comes to food. And that if you don't start focusing on your brain and, and fueling your brain as the most important part of you, right? That's like, that's human consciousness. I mean, it's amazing for you, all of the things it can do. And so the foods that tend to do that focus on nutrients that we know are most important for the brain's nutrition. And then what I do in Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety is I try and translate that into food groups and then an experience for people of thinking about their own relationship with those foods and then applying them to their diet. So quickly, like, what are the foods? I have my little rhyme, seafood greens, nuts and beans, and a little dark chocolate. I like to say it that way sometimes. Mostly, uh, I like to think about food categories and, and these foundational food categories. And when you look at a plate of a healthy eater, if it's traditional diet, Mediterranean diet, Japanese diet, no matter how you're going to slice up the data, the, the diets that trend towards healthier and less depression, you're going to see an abundance of vegetables, some fermented plants, you're gonna see leafy greens, you're going to see some seafood, um, 
you're going to see nuts and, and legumes. And, and th those are the general categories they ask people to really consider. One, how do they work for you? You know, experts can say uh, up all day long, right? Hey, this, this is a great food. If it doesn't work for you, if you don't like blueberries, it is not the best brain food for you, period. <laughs> and uh, maybe, maybe you want to examine that value and think about it and try it a few different new ways. But, but the foods that are helpful, just to get your question, Amanda, is it's a simple one. I focus on the power players, which uh, some of my favorites in there are kefir, a fermented yogurt drink that just, had, if you're looking for good probiotics, you're thinking about taking a probiotic, you should, I think most people should try kefir first. Um, cashews, just one of our favorite nuts that as my wife and I raised two little experimental brains and watched the <laughs> this science on there. Uh, that their strange psychiatrist foodie dad has done that, that, that we have a lot of nuts in the house, cashews, almonds, walnuts, just a great snack, unsalted and raw is usually I recommend them. Pepitas, pumpkin seeds, uh, just interesting underutilized seed, top source of tryptophan. Not that that's super important, it's just a flashy thing to say. <laughs> and, and then the seafood, that's really the category people struggle with. I mean, I struggled with, I'm an Indiana farm boy, I tell the story in the book. Didn't eat any seafood till I was 30 because that meant like fish sticks in the cafeteria and they were disgusting. I never ate them, they just smelled disgusting. And I was a very picky eater as a kid. So, seafood for me wasn't, it's not something that I have any interest in like choking down or, you know, advising people to eat in a, uh, in a way that isn't helpful to them. But it is something that I've learned over the years to appreciate all seafood. And so, anchovies and wild salmon, and then the bivalves, mussels, clams, and oysters. I had to kind of sum it up, those and the fermented foods would be the really important ones. And then dark chocolate, people should radically change the relationship with dark chocolate. Most people need to eat a lot more of it. Most people need to start eating it daily. There's a study in medical, you're both medical students, there's a study in medical students, right? You said you had a few nutrition classes, but nobody looked around the room and said, you young medical students are in for it. Let me tell you, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be super stressful and you should eat dark chocolate every day. But there was a study of dark chocolate being given to medical students to improve mood and reduce anxiety. And, and apparently it worked. And so, um, so there you have it. Well, that's on our grocery list now. <laughs> that's always been on our grocery list. <laughs> you asked about the bad foods, Amanda, and quickly not to ramble on. The, the bad foods is just looking where processed foods slip into your diet and being honest about it. I posted a Hawaiian roll on Instagram today is my dad fail because like, I don't know, I see those things. I have some fantasy that they're going to be delicious and like hold enough brain food to make it worth it. And then I finally read the ingredients and they're, you know, they're horrible. <laughs> my daughter said, oh, it's so sweet. It's disgusting. It's like, of course it is. <laughs> what was dad thinking? So looking, where's the processed food? Where are their quote unquote bad habits? And to stop thinking about it like that, start thinking about it as data about your mental health. Right? When you're eating in a way that, that isn't leading to you feeling right, that isn't, you know, that, that, that isn't about something beyond just like, I don't know, being hangry and all the, all the ways that kind of people, I think in some ways, explain us not caring for ourselves. Thank you for those tips. Those are very actionable. We appreciate that. And I like to think of things too, because a lot of people on diets think they have to be very restrictive. And when you're limiting these processed foods, don't like think about it as restriction, but think of things like, oh, I get to eat dark chocolate. I get to eat all of these varieties. And I think that makes it a lot easier to follow through on, on diets or plans like yours. 
Amanda, that's exactly right. And I think one of the things we want to shift in medicine, and I think it's something as a psychiatrist, I've just observed, and I think many of us have, um, every woman in medicine has observed this, that we have this very hierarchical patriarchal system and that we tend to get trained and kind of indoctrinated into a system that like pa patients are kind of bad with their pathology and, and we're good and we know. And, and there's something about that, that, that it doesn't work very well for any of us. Doctors don't end up very happy and patients don't end up very happy. And, and so I, I think we're in an era of examining that and trying to shift it. And I think adding more joyfulness to people's life and adding options instead of obscure ideas that us doctors have no cholesterol, no saturated fat, no salt, <laughs> like whatever the hell that ends up meaning to people, which even if it were right, and I don't think that's good smart nutritional advice anymore, but even if it were right, we've, it's failed. Like America's sicker than it's ever been because of bad food. And, and so I, I think this, uh, this notion that we can give people joy, we can emphasize um, eating in a way that you like, eating in a way that's true to your culture, eating in a way that emphasizes your health and that fuels your health and empowers you. I, that, you know, I think that's like the new medicine, at least that's my hope. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's so empowering for all of our listeners and for the patients that you treat and the people that you reach on your social media, because I mean, that's something that Dan and I really focus on is uh, empowerment because we saw that patriarchy and the indoctrination that we've had in the medical system. And we're like, this is not the general public or what they, they want to be hearing. And so we really think that everyone has, has the, their innate ability to heal. And we just want to empower them to do that. Well, I think that's true. I mean, it, it's uh, the more we understand about empowerment and about motivating people and about sharing science in an equitable way and about understanding that there's a, there's a lot about engagement. For example, the wellness world, medicine hates the wellness world a little bit. Yeah. And you know, I've had this, I, I think really lovely position and somehow I haven't gotten kicked out. Like I've got a foot in both worlds. And so I'm, I'm hanging out like the wellness kale loving, crystal loving. And, and, I, and I think it's because for me, the conversation's important. Mm -hmm. and, and then also I found, I meet a lot of like very conservative doctors who'd be into some serious juju and you'd be like, wow, like none of <laughs> like your spirit healer like, that's cool you're certain to yeah but nobody knows about one part of your it, it was just it's an interesting um uh, way that and since we met through social media that, that social media really has uh shifted and shaped who gets to influence the healthcare conversation and who gets to influence individuals. I mean, I, and I think a lot of physicians are really frustrated. I mean, I, I think Dr. Google at this point is a trusted colleague who knows a hell of a lot more than I do. And I treat him like that when patients come in. But remember when people first started coming in with Dr. Google and you know, you're initially, because I'm that old of a doctor that that was a new thing for us. And, and you, know, you, you couldn't help but get a little like, I know better than this internet, I'm a doctor. Yeah. And then you realize, like, no, actually, not anymore. Yeah. The internet is a little better. Than you. And you start to hear, you know, and so it's a hard thing for physicians and medical identity somehow, right? Because we have ended up in this often position of dismissing patient information or reassuring them that thing they read on the internet is wrong, um, or being contested by something that we don't think is scientifically valid. It's um, yeah, the Dr. Google thing is interesting because we have our own, you know, our own up-to-date 
And then as things just become more of a, a big data world and we learn how to use all this data, these doctors, I mean, as future doctors too, we just need to work alongside these things. These things are meant to make our jobs easier and I mean, is outcomes this better. Career, Dana, and I mean, is this vibe still there? Cause I feel like your generation, like you're on TikTok, right? Whereas doctors my age, they've either never heard of TikTok or, or they have a lot of biased thoughts about it, right? And, and, but it does feel that I'm seeing psychiatrists in their 20s and 30s on all these social platforms and mm-hmm. comfortable with it and wanting to utilize it for good. It's some new, it's like some new vibe that's lovely. I love it. I mean, I, I just see it as like, you know, all of us like to complain that we don't get enough patient time. And I'm like, man, we can literally go on social media and put out some good health information and 24 hours a day, it's just getting pushed out to thousands and thousands of people. And so I see it as such a good opportunity for everybody. Um, it's a great thing that people awesome. talk all the time. They, they make, you know, they have this like a warning, like this is not medical advice. And, and I'm like, when did it get, so you get confused that like a doctor on social media is like medical advice. And then I also get a little uppity where I think I'm a doctor. What the hell other type of advice do I give? Yeah. <laughs> medical advice, everything. My children ask me a question, right? I'm, it's like, it goes through the doctor brain and there is no <laughs> turning that off. And uh, and I can't imagine giving advice that's what, like, un, this is unmedical advice or not medical, like, but I, I have to, uh, and I, I, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I'm going to say it. There's something about social media that allows you to care about people in the same way that you care as a physician. It'll, and, and, uh, and I didn't know how this was going to work out when we start, first started doing social media. I mean, we as like the early doctors who were on Twitter and Instagram, there, there have been a lot of us, but I feel like it was part of this first generation where there, there was like a lot of debate, like, what, what about when people message you? Yeah. <laughs> what if they're struggling? It's like, what do we say? And it's like, what if you just say like, you know, thanks for messaging me. I'm really struggling. Sorry, you're having a good hard time. Like here's a good resource. Yeah. And that's maybe all that you do and it makes a difference. And, and so it feels that we've really started to figure that out. And it's been very exciting seeing so many, uh, look at just like departments of psychiatry coming online. Columbia's on Instagram now. Uh, Yale's on Instagram. The Yale uh, residents took over the Instagram. I was like, I want to go back to residency. I want to be a Yale psychiatry resident. <laughs> it was like the best Instagram takeover. I was so, I don't think they're going to let me come back though. But it, it, And so it, it's very, um, it's nice to hear that, that uh, you, you think about it now because I feel like we don't talk about it that way. And I think it also there have been some wellness influencers who've said some recent said things recently that have bothered me. And I usually try to transcend that and be above it. But I think there's something about the responsibility that the people that follow you. Mm-hmm. Um, to, I think there's so much that gets marketed to people and sold to people and kind of biased in that way. And, you know, I like what you all are doing. And I love, I, I love your little videos, by the way, they really, they make me, uh, they always make me grin. I love, I love the silly things and fun things and serious things you choose to explain. I really appreciate it. So. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. We see it as just a chance to create community. I mean, just as much as we're lacking physicians in America, people are also lacking community. So we try to create these little like micro communities, whether it's within our comments within our discord channel and just these different things to let people, you know, 
kind of be human again. But um, I just want to go back to your book really quick. There's one line that I wrote down um, and I highlighted and it, I don't take notes, notes often, but this is what I wrote down. Better brains are made and they're made by the decisions and foods you consume every day. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and maybe, maybe touch on that? Well, I just think about a brain as an organism that it's my job to care for it. And it's very specialized. Um, and I've gotten to take care of a lot of things. I've gotten to take care of a couple of kids and, and my wife. And right now I'm, I impulsively bought a very large horse that I'm taking care of. But when you just think about it in that, in that empowering way, that the, the milieu, the nutritional milieu, in which, you know, the, the bath in which your brain is sitting in, you dictate something about that, whether it's full of, I don't know, trans fats and sugar and food dyes and, uh, or, or not, or, or whether it's full of, I don't know, omega-3 fats like DHA, which you do. They don't, there's so much cool science about DHA to teach you guys in biochem that would make you want to eat fish or figure out how to eat fish every day because DHA, it's like seven or 8% dry weight of the human brain, but it also, like a lot of these really long fats that we eat, uh, the omega-3, long-chain omega-3 fats that you get in fatty fish and seafood, and that's really the reason I, I end up recommending those and eating those a lot. They're so functional, I and mean, they have so many double bonds, so they, for all the medical students, they're storing all this energy, and that's all, think about it in that functional way, how EPA can you know, be in a cosinoid that, that leads to this you know, uh, anti-inflammatory cascade that is it's just fascinating or how EPA thins the blood like uh, and increases bleeding time a little bit like aspirin does. Um, so uh, I think that when I, again, consider things like the omega-3 fats or, or let's think about zinc and magnesium and how A, the majority of them, let's say half of Americans don't meet the recommended daily allowance for those nutrients. It's a striking slide that I have in my slide deck where you just think about, all right, all right, let's just sum it up. Like, what's the consequence of all this complaining we're doing about highly processed food? And it comes down to, I think, empty calories. So you're getting lots and lots of fuel, lots of sugars, lots of industrial seed oils. I mean, added fats and added sugars are the two main sources of calories for the majority of Americans. And so that's why we end up with these, it's, not really, it's a nutrient insufficiency. And so again, a brain that doesn't have zinc or magnesium, well, what's zinc and magnesium do in the brain? One thing those things do, and those nutrients do, is help regulate BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So better brains are made by fighting inflammation and increasing neuroplasticity. That's, that's really, in some ways, the, the central premise of the book, Dan, so I'm, I'm glad you picked up on it, which is that you do have control. Like let, let's, let, we've got great data now. We have randomized trials for the first time. When I say we, I mean nutritional psychiatry, <laughs> at least Jacka and lots of wonderful researchers have done those studies. But there are now four positive randomized trials that show a food intervention can work in clinical depression. And by can work, get a third of people into full remission by another, uh, another study decrease depression rating scale scores by 45%. Um, my favorite was college students. They got a box of food. They got a, just, they didn't even get like a talking to. They just got a video, like a 13 minute video they watched online and then two five minute phone calls. Over the next six months, they saw a reduction in stress, anxiety and depression rating scales. So you have this like lasting effect of food. And, and, and so that's where I think better brains are built. I think all the evidence points to that. I think the dementia evidence points to that certainly. And then I think this new wave, if we connect up 
big concepts. There's a whole sort of chapter dedicated to these. And I'm holding it here to be depression and anxiety, though we're just audio. I want to show it to Dan in a minute. Of inflammation and how nutrition and the microbiome get involved in regulating inflammation. Um, you know, a simple example of nutritional psychiatry, even though the gluten thing is kind of, and I wouldn't say come and gone, but it's just a, a focus, right, of one of the ways to eat to decrease inflammation. A lot of people avoid gluten. Let's just say that works. So let's say you're one of the, you know, well over a million American Americans who have celiac disease and don't know it. Wow. You're living in a constant chronic inflammatory state because you're eating something your body is allergic to. That's celiac disease. You take that nutrient away. Imagine that brain now, not dealing with the inflammatory factors, not dealing with all of the fatigue and the fog and all the stuff that's coming from the gluten. That's just a, a good example of, I think, where better brains, again, can get built. And how much better? Well, I think that really depends on you, whoever's listening. You know, if you're really struggling and, and you're eating a nutrient-dense, reasonably traditional-style diet, maybe you should make some tweaks. I certainly hope you'll check out the book and, and think maybe there's some lessons in nutrition. There was a lot I didn't know about that shaped my eating. Um, but it also, I think what's nice about getting nutrition right is it also means that if you're still struggling with symptoms, it's really time to make, take the next step. Whereas I find one of the biggest problems in mental health, um, sure, people aren't eating right, but the biggest problem is mental health is that nobody gets treatment. Yeah, and... I mean, symptoms are so important to listen to. I feel like a lot of times we've really lost our intuition and stopped listening to our bodies. Um, I mean, with the the rise of depression and anxiety, some people are like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just depressed and don't really feel like that motivated to make some changes. But your, your symptoms are really your body crying out that there's an imbalance. And so you should definitely like be looking at the source for that. I think um, so. That's, that's the way, you know, I mean, in medicine, we're taught chief complaint, right? And we're hoping for a nice list of symptoms. Oh, I'm like gassy. Like, I don't remember stuff very well. I feel sad and tearful all the time. I can't sleep so well. And I'm really worried. It's like, oh, oh my God, a little checklist here going. Yeah. I figure out what's wrong with you, right? And, and it, it's, um, I think, honoring that and, and understanding that it's meaningful is tough, Amanda, because I think people are, we're also busy getting away from it. And, and, and trying to almost deny its existence in that way. Like, you know, when you're getting a little sick and you feel like I'm just going to like willpower, I am not getting sick. And that works sometimes almost probably just because you weren't going to get sick anyway, but like you believe that you, and there's a lot of power to the placebo effect, but you know, it, it's uh, sometimes that obviously doesn't work. And um, so, yeah. Well, I think that the the four studies that you talked about too, and that you cite in your your book, are really exciting. The uh, randomized control trials. What's the same for all, all the all the gunners who are wanting to look them up or question the evidence? Is <laughs> all Busha, which I welcome you to do. There's a smiles trial by Felice Jacka, healthy health, healthy med by uh, Natalie. I was getting Natalie Peralta and. Uh, a journalist I follow on Instagram confused. Um, the uh, Heather Francis did the study of the Australian. It's a brief intervention for basically it's the first study ever showing adolescent depression can be treated. Uh, that's one with the box of food and the video intervention. The mood fops, which was negative, but then the that's the fifth one. The fourth one was. Um, oh, Elizabeth Stahl, which was but and that was a randomized trial where 
their control group was a nutrition group. No, that's, I mean, that's amazing that they have those studies now, because I think we intuitively knew that nutrition could have such a big impact, but there was never the, the trials to support it. Um, so I'm curious what you all think about this. While there is the intuition that we have, right, we know like that, that when we, uh, you know, what we eat affects how we feel. There's still this disconnect between mental health, like depression and anxiety and dementia and, and what we eat. And I was wondering, like, this is something that people don't put together or are surprised about. And I was wondering what you all thought of that. Um, I think that you're completely correct. I think that there's a disconnect between how awful we feel and what we eat. And I think that there, people are in a chronic state of inflammation, especially if they're not used to eating uh, healthy all the time. And so they don't, like, know what it feels like to feel mm -hmm. good. And so if they're consistently chronically inflamed and potentially depressed or anxious, they don't make that direct connection between the food that they put in their mouth and their symptoms. Also, the food gets really presented as the medicine, right? Like that, that it's comfort food, that it's a big delicious treat. Like who doesn't love that when you're starving, starving to death on your road trip and you get the giant bacon cheeseburger and the fries and you just eat it real fast, right? I also, I think that, um, it's been also portrayed, I mean, you make a lot of money off of some of these food industries. And so like the advertising too, it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is going to make you feel good. Like, uh, taste, well, there's, there's, some good, <laughs> yeah. there's don't some pretend like, you know, she's actually like never really had fast food. That's so she doesn't know, but I think this is the biggest, biggest thing, Dr. Ramsey and Amanda briefly touched on it, but it's, I don't think people know what it feels like to feel okay or like feel good after eating. Um, I just know like most of the people I grew up around or like most of my friends and family, it's like, they're kind of used to just, you know, going out to dinner and then like rushing home and going to the bathroom or just like or people, yeah, or falling asleep after eating or like, I just don't think people make the connection between like what they eat is actually going to like affect the rest of their day. And then like over time, over years and, you know, like over decades, like it's really detrimental and like you dig yourself a pretty deep hole to get out of. Um, and so I think people are finally starting to connect the two. And I think it's like what we touched on before about like the wellness industry has done a good job of kind of pushing a lot of that. And so I think the general public and, you know, a lot of the, the people in that wellness space or people that work out a lot are kind of opening up to it a little bit more. It's interesting because you talk, and when you speak to that, it's been nice to hear, you know, almost all of the folks in the fitness industry that you talk to and think about what their motivation is, why they work out, they always end up talking about their mental health, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it feels like there's more openness to talking about. It. I appreciate both of your thoughts on that. And, and, and I wonder if we're increasingly going to make more of a connection. I mean, it, it's, um, I think there's certainly a, a more of a food is medicine. That's not come some, I don't know, kind of hippie back of the hospital phrase anymore. I mean, I, I'm, I'm seeing more and more hospitals that have farmers markets and more and more healthcare systems, I think, that understand that prevention is the best investment and that this, this you know, model that's existed thus far of, of as you said, a pharmaceutical first, I think it's great that we have medicines, but I think that if we only meet patients when they're sick, I don't know, it doesn't feel like, especially in mental health and psychiatry, I mean, that's really the only time you ever meet me is if you're sick. Mm -hmm. And that, that just didn't really, that doesn't strike me as very sensible as a medical field. I mean, and so I, 
there's a lot of other stuff, breath work, mindfulness, exercise that can help in your mental health. But just struck me that my field needs to really get to know people and let people get to know us. So then if you do have symptoms, hey, you know, we've been making pesto together for years. So <laughs> it's like no big deal. You can come and talk to me about your really severe depression or first manic episode or that you had a horrible panic attack or that there's something you've never told anybody. And it's just really, it's, it needs to get worked out. And, and so I hope that, I hope that all the food work and nutritional psychiatry, both, you know, both has substantial science in terms of how it can be used. I mean, the exciting thing of those trials is also it showed in a mental health setting because with patients a lot that you can be effective and it doesn't have to dominate the treatment. But, you know, one of the things that happens when I work with patients is, you know, as they're thinking about reasons they're feeling worse, it, you know, kind of on our radar screen of things going on it is also some of the lifestyle that they're, you know, are they moving their body and exercising? Are they, you know, taking care of making sure they have date night with their spouse? Um, are they eating in a way that they feel, you know, nourished by or overwhelmed by? And so it, it's a nice, it's a nice piece uh, to have in terms of, um, ways to influence folks and influence and help patients. Can you feel this like giant wave coming upon you where it's just like, you know, mental health is becoming one of the most talked about fields and it's kind of, be and especially because of COVID, it's kind of become relevant to everybody. Like before, you know, they used to say the saying of like, if you look to your left one of, and you look to your right, one of these people has depression, but now it's like almost everybody kind of has something going on mentally. And then also the whole food is medicine movement. And you're kind of right there in the middle. Can you feel this kind of giant wave that you're about to ride? Well, you know, uh, Dan, that's nice to say. I hope, uh, I hope I can ride it to the best of my ability. That's it. <laughs> it's been really interesting to be part of um, the conversation in a meaningful way and just have all these wonderful opportunities over the years. And so uh, it feels exciting. I, I mostly feel I'm not doing enough, uh, to be honest with you, in, in terms of um, if, if I, I'm a really, uh, I'm a not a very good surfer, but I'm pretty good at getting out, out to the outside. But one of the reasons that I'm not a very good surfer, as, as my friends will tell you, is, is that I'm, I'm a little anxious. And, <laughs> and it's hard for me to do what you have to do to be a good surfer, which is get out there and sit, recover, motion, <laughs> get in the groove, not get scared that the big set's going to crush you. And so, um, I do feel that something is shifting. I think like everybody who's been in the kind of integrative health world, I, I do also think as you begin to get a little older, there's always, there's always that fear that awareness hasn't turned into action. And, um, and I think as I see some of my mentors and colleagues in mental health starting to think about retiring, that there's, there's a, um, there's a lot of pride, of course, in all the progress we've made, but you can tell there's a frustration. There's a frustration that, that we haven't done more. And so I, uh, yeah, that sounds somber and depressing, Dan. I'm super excited. I think <laughs> it's a huge wave of talking about mental health. I'm so excited about the work I've gotten to do with men's health this year to really open up the conversation about male mental health. More than 70, 75% of suicides are uh, completed suicides are by men and there's not a conversation about modern masculinity that allows us to really think about the evolution that needs to happen both from a stance of wakefulness but a stance of talking about mental health so that's been you know when i think about uh something like that 
right? Where we're almost 30 episodes in, we've talked to amazing men, everyone from Ajizi to Common to Bazi to Zeshan B. I mean, just like artists and musicians and, and writers and athletes. I talked to Alan Houston when I was in medical school. I remember being in medical school like on, on call at night, like watching Alan Houston play. And then I feel, I mean, it definitely feels like a psychotic break. Then there you are on your phone on Instagram live and there's Alan Houston. He's like, awesome. hey. It's super awesome, but it's like, what is that, man? I mean, it's like, you should probably give me some hellball, right? So <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, um, it, it's an exciting time. And I think that it's, uh, so, so I am excited about that. I, I, I think like, I didn't mean to get somber there. I think with, as I've watched us talk about mental health awareness, and I love that, it's just awareness is that first step and it's gotta lead us to action and lead all of us to action. And, and as I've been saying in my talks, you know, there's that one out of five people have mental illness or diagnosed with mental illness each year. And I've come to really loathe that statistic because I think we just need to frame the conversation as five out of five of us have the gift of a human brain. And it's full of like secrets and mysteries and amazing things for all of us to share in, but it's a little bit fragile. And five out of five of us can all do a better job taking care of that brain today and tomorrow. And so focusing on today, like what can we all do a little better? And, and I hope I hope that's the, I hope the food piece becomes really clear in this book, but I, I hope that's where we're headed in terms of mental health. Yeah, and I know you just said that you uh, feel like you're not doing enough and uh, Dr. Ramsey, you're doing a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's really important. As Dan was saying, there's a wave of people talking about mental health. And I think there's a wave of people being more in tune to the food that they eat. And like you were saying, there is this disconnect, but as more and more people talk about it, like yourself on social media and the reach you, you have, um, I think that we're trending towards people being more aware that they are empowered and able to choose the food that they eat in order to make the brain that they want. Um, so thank you for the I like that. I mean, that's a good, that's like, that's a good book tagline. Choose the food. Yeah. You, you like to eat. What was that? Choose the food you eat. Build the brain you want. Build the brain yeah, you want. That's, that's a good book title. <laughs> good mm, I'll write that down. <laughs> okay. So lastly, this is the future is healthy podcast. And we ask every guest to finish the following sentence. The future is blank. I've been on a big kick that the future is today and that there's a tremendous amount of capacity that we have today in our own action, in our own technology um, access, in our own communities to uh, really transform health. And I think that the, the allure of the future is, is great with genetic testing, microbiome testing, new inflammatory markers, new technologies we haven't even conceived of yet. I'm super excited, I can't wait. I'm hoping somebody's gonna like, like print me a new, I don't know, like hard or whatever I need, like someday. I can, I'm excited about all that. But I, I think in our hope about the future, we just need to always remember the importance and the power of seizing today seizing this meal, seizing this trip to the grocery store. And, um, and so I agree that the future is very healthy. And I think your future, if you're listening, can be incredibly healthy. And I think that we often can fall, fall victim to thinking about the external, the many external forces and headwinds that get in our way um, of that. 
but I really believe in you, whoever you are listening, and um, and Dan and Amanda, I believe in you and the great energy that you're bringing to medicine and bringing to social and brought to me today. And so I think the future is healthy. I agree with you entirely on that. And I think for everybody watching, that future can really start today, everybody listening. And, um, and thank you for that question. You know, you have today, we have today. So I hope that helps people feel a little inspired about wherever you are. And I think especially in 2021, it's like, I can't wait for the future, but you know what? I made a vow to myself I was going to get through 2020 because that was that was a tough one, right? And it was a tough one for everybody. It was tough for all the clinicians listening where, I don't know, but you can't, you, you can't really lose a step, but it's a little different being in mental health where it's like, usually mental health feels a little bit like you're in the quicksand. I'm definitely, I can't offer you a hand, but I can guarantee you're not going to get eaten by the quicksand. Just listen, let's, let's talk this out and, you know, I'm going to offer you a hand. Now it's like, we are in some quicksand together, aren't we? <laughs> Whoa, like, yeah, you sleeping and all? It's like, either. It's like, we're dreaming. It's like, how's your canned fish supply in your pantry? <laughs> it, and so that's been really interesting and, and different clinically where you're in it together. And so, so 2021 is still going to be really tough for people because the wave of mental health issues that we're going to see are going to revolve around the grief once the grief that emerges once we take the kind of pedal off the gas of survival and so i don't know as i said we have today and 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 there's a lot of work that people need to do i think to process what's what's happened and what is happening to us dan he said he didn't prepare the future is today that was so good yeah. <laughs> I would, he was just adding to the dramatic no, effect to make it hit harder. it feels a little you guys will see how it sounds in it it feels a little dramatic if you want me to record a second one but i think no i love no, that was that was perfect i love that well dr ramsey thank you so much for taking time to chat with us i do highly recommend your book i really love the way that you outlined i mean just your 12 nutrients that were well done with those diagrams, which we obviously love visual aids. <laughs> and you know, depression and anxiety, I mean, it feels to put that on the cover of a book is a little like nobody wants to buy that, right? Like nobody wants depression. And and I hope that's changed in 2021. Um, maybe I'm just naive about marketing, uh, but I also wanted the inside of the book to have a lighter feel because it's a heavy subject. Mm-hmm. And so besides trying to, to bring I don't know, it's my personality into, into the conversation, which is pretty upbeat. I also hope that the drawings could really help in terms of translating the information and allowing people to kind of sit and meditate on some of these things and stick in our minds in a different way. I mean, I see those illustrations all the time as I'm walking through the grocery store, I'm looking at a food and I'm like, oh, how much of this am I supposed to be eating? Or, you know, what's a good source of magnesium? And, and so I hope those are helpful. They're very helpful. Um, and we love it. We love the way that you explain things. And I, I love that you cited all of your sources and explained exactly what happened <laughs> in the research. Um, where can people find your book and where can people follow you on social? Well, thank you so much, everybody. That The, um, the book, I, I would appreciate your support of it and your, your comments on Amazon and buying the book through ideally a local bookstore. If you can find a place to, to order it, that that's always a wonderful way to help as they're struggling. But um, besides pre-ordering the book, folks can follow me on Instagram is where I'm most active, but I'm also on Facebook at Drew Ramsey MD. And then my website is drewramseymd.com. 
Um, we've got some nice initiatives going on right now in terms of a lot of pre-order incentives for the book and um, also a new newsletter coming out every Friday. So folks can come to the website and sign up where I try and share new science and some of the things that we're reading and some of what our team is doing in terms of our work. So, um, and then if folks are interested in any way in our clinical model, we have a clinic, clinician training. We have the first ever clinical training in nutritional psychiatry. It's a 10 continuing education uh, credit course, medical students can take it too. Um, it, it teaches the basics of nutritional psychiatry, really our clinical model and the evidence that exists for all mental health conditions. Um, and so for anybody who's uh, in the clinical space and interested in that, please please check that out on, on my website. And then our, our clinical team is great. We just have a really nice group of psychiatrists and, and therapists. So if folks are interested in this work, um, clinically, please please reach out and, and our team would be happy to be of help. Awesome. And will you be on TikTok anytime soon? I'm not sure I know how to make anything, but I made an Instagram reel. And the thing that I realized right away is I think I'm too silly to be taken seriously. I need to decide, am I going to be a TikTok star and just go all <laughs> the way? Or am I going to be taken seriously as a physician? That's the problem I'm having at my age. And so can you help me with that, sir? I, I, absolutely. We'll send over our microbook. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Future is Healthy podcast. If you loved what you heard, subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think someone you know can benefit from any of the info we talked about, share this with friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. We don't rely on paid ads so that you can trust we have no conflict of interest in any of the information we provide or talk about in this podcast. If you support what we're doing, you can help us to continue putting out content by clicking the link to support the Future is Healthy podcast. This podcast is for general education purposes only. It is not a substitute for treatment, diagnoses, or professional medical advice. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or other qualified professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information from this podcast and any of the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. If you are seeking advice for any medical condition, it is important to seek the assistance from a qualified, trained, and licensed medical practitioner.